All right, joining us now on Radio Parallax is Ross Rellis, a businessman in Sacramento, and it's actually a third-generation Sacramentan who seeks to unseat Mayor Heather Fargo uh, as Sacramento's mayor. Uh, welcome to Radio Parallax, Mr. Rellis. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Well, the first question I have to ask is, why do you want to replace Heather Fargo as Sacramento's mayor? Well, that's what all my friends say. Why do you want to do this? Well, and a number of reasons. I have seen a total lack of leadership. Uh, I've seen uh, no leadership in bringing jobs and businesses to Sacramento. We saw the rail yard debacle over the Kings, uh, where they wanted to tax all the business people downtown to build an arena for the Maloofs uh, and the Kings. And I said, not at taxpayers' expense. I just saw things happening in Sacramento that I that I thought I could change. Well, good for you. I, I, I wanted to focus on that issue. That was one that got a lot of publicity, which uh, Mayor Fargo's taken a lot of heat for, apparently not being able to deliver the goods on that downtown arena. A lot of people called it uh, corporate welfare. Would you agree? As the way it was presented, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a partnership as long as the... In other words, my responsibility and job as mayor is to look out for the city and to make sure that uh, we spend our, our dollars wisely properly and then we get a return on our investment and now the mayor has said no she never said that well um so she's flip-flop now she said no what i really meant was we're going to vote on it but that's not what she said back in october um you must have as a local businessman you you've been uh, you've been here for quite some time 40 years i guess well no the flower business which um we got a big stir over you might have noticed that the flyer where we gave the discount has been here since 1946 wow I've been in the investment and insurance and real estate business uh, for some combined 40 years. And I'm still down, I'm still in Midtown Sacramento, and the flower shop is on the corner of 24th and J. And I'm actually uh, in one of the older buildings that we built back in the 70s. Your shop is kind of a local institution downtown. Been here a long time. Um, uh, let me ask you about this, uh, well, an issue that we've talked about in this radio program before, about the traffic calming, the so-called traffic calming, which blocks off streets in downtown Sacramento, uh, admittedly with a good idea. But um, recently, Diana, Diana Griego-Irwin ta- talked in her column about how a lot of people don't actually shop downtown because of the frustration of being unable to negotiate these streets. Yeah, I mean, most of the traffic calming I agree with, what I, what I call, tra- I don't like the dead-end streets. Yeah. I don't mind the roundabouts, and, you know, so cars won't go. We don't want traffic to go zooming up and down G Street, sure. D Street, E Street. On the other hand, when you're coming up H, and you hit a trap, and you can't, you've got to turn, go left and right, it is a mess. And what they've done is they've, they've calmed the traffic, and on M Street now is full of traffic. Right. We didn't have any before. Right. Because they've changed the configuration. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things I'd like to improve on uh, with the traffic in East Sacramento. In fact, I'm going to the East Sacramento uh, meeting tonight. Just for the record, I certainly would agree that roundabouts are a good way to calm traffic, but blocking off streets so you simply can't go down them, I find to be terribly frustrating. It is. Um, how about urban development down on the riverfront? There's a lot of talk about what can be done with a, a, a conjunction of, of downtown Sacramento and West Sacramento, pedestrian bridges and the like. What do you see there? Well, I've been working on that for some... I talked about that in 1983 when I ran. So okay. it's only been 21 years and we virtually accomplished nothing. We, got, we do have a couple of restaurants. Uh, I was also on the Capital Area Committee, which uh, owned uh, that state of California, which had 47 square blocks. And we talked about a promenade, uh, green grass, trees, parks, utilizing the rivers on both sides. And so far, 
virtually nothing has been done. Uh, West Sacramento, which I'm a property owner over there, they keep waiting and waiting and waiting, and who knows when they're ever going to do anything. But I'm all for utilizing and making the rivers as beautiful as we can, and so the citizens of Sacramento can use them. What about urban sprawl issues? A lot of you, you certainly are located downtown, and a lot of people see Sacramento becoming another Los Angeles, spreading suburbs off as far as the eye can see. How would you address that? Boy, that's a tough one. You know, that's something that cannot be answered, <laughs> unfortunately, in, in this interview. It, I was just down in the North Natomas area last night yeah. for their North Natomas meeting, and uh, I drove around before I got there, and it is amazing. Uh, I don't know if enough thought has been put in. The traffic out there is incredible. The growth is incredible. We're going to definitely take a look at it and to make sure that it fits with the city. I don't know if there's anything you can really do. Uh, we can't. We will not become a no-growth city, but... Um, I will look into it. It's it's a complex problem. I mean, we have zoning. We have a master plan. Uh, we're going to try to follow that. I know they're concerned in North Thomas about the amount of apartment houses that are being built. Yeah. Uh, and that, that creates just an amazing number of cars. So there's a lot of areas to look at, and I don't know um, if the current mayor, I don't believe she has. One of the things that we're going to do, we're looking at, is forming what we call district, we, we call them neighborhood councils, okay. but they're really district councils. So there'd be eight different, it's almost like you have a little city within a city. They would be appointed by the mayor and the various organizations in the district, and they would have their meetings and talk to their councilman, who in turn would talk to me about what they'd want, what they'd like to see. It's very much like the uh, East Sacramento, I'm just looking at it here, the East Sacramento Improvement Association. Right. It's fairly large in area, and they have their meetings to help. It, it's just, a, it's just a, maybe an expansion of the associations. What about light rail? That probably seems to be a perennial issue in Sacramento. Well, right now, there's, it, there's no money even to build it. We had a conversation about that last night. We've been working with uh, uh, some individuals that are, are working with Caltrans and light rail in the city to find out exactly what's going on. Some of the people want to build it on I-5. It is proposed now on Truxell Road to go by Arco Arena uh, out to the airport. I mean, light rail is something that uh, every city should have. We're, we're so far behind, I think, Europe in, in addressing the, the transportation problems over here. It's going to take a while. And it's not going to be, it's going to, it's going to be an expense, but it's a necessary expense. Yeah. So right now, what we have to do, like most businesses do, is to uh, tighten our belts, look at everything and every place we're spending dollars, because number one, the most the uh, most important thing is public safety, and that's police and fire. Yeah. And they're getting a fire station in North Natomas. They'll break ground, I believe, in about two weeks. We want a substation, a police substation out there. Uh, we want a complete firehouse with uh, two divisions, they call them. One's a truck and one's an engine, and I just found out the difference. One carries water and the other carries equipment uh, to help after the fire's out. Well, Ross Rellis, we, we hope, we wish you well in your battle for the Sacramento mayorship. We'd like to see you sitting in that seat uh, some months from now. Any final comments you'd have for us? Um... I think you do have to look at the record of, uh, of the mayor. Um, cost overruns on City Hall. I've been endorsed by the Sacramento Police Officers Association, Jan Scully, District Attorney, Sheriff Lou Blanis, retired Sheriff Glenn Craig, the uh, Deputy Sheriff's Association. So there, there's a reason they're endorsing me, and the reason is she hasn't done the job. So 
I would just uh, tell all the listeners that uh, I would appreciate your vote. Uh, I'll work hard to be your mayor, and I'll, I'll do a good job for you. All right, well, you've got my vote, and I hope others will join me. So, Mark, I, I very much appreciate your call. Ross Rellis, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Bye-bye. All righty. All right, uh, if no one gets 51% of the vote between the candidates uh, Mark Sobel, Heather Fargo, Leonard Padilla, and Ross Rellis, uh, then there'll be a runoff next November. Uh, by the way, we, we, we enjoyed having Leonard Padilla on this program previously when he was running for governor. But he kind of lost me in his um, in his campaign statement when he said, I will not tolerate even the perception of violence or prejudice against anyone due to race, sexual preference, gender, religion, or disability. Well, that's a fine sentiment, but what's it got to do with being mayor? Well, we couldn't endorse him on this one, but uh, he, he's quite an interesting character. We hope we may have Leonard Padilla on the show again in the future. Uh, the Sacramento Bee, 21904, <laughs> in the editorial page said, Fargo, by default. Now, there's a ringing endorsement for you. The B said, measured by population and economic heft, the city of Sacramento is the region's heavyweight. Measured by the energy and imagination of its public leadership, it feels decidedly small town and parochial. In most big cities, Mayor Heather Fargo's inept handling of her highest priority, getting her highest priority, getting the Kings a new downtown arena, would have made her vulnerable in a re-election campaign. But the B goes on to say they didn't feel that uh, Padilla, Rellis, or Sobel have made the case that they can do a better job. Well, I, I think I think Sacramento should take that chance. I want to quote more extensively from Diana Griego-Irwin, a column that I mentioned in our interview with Mr. Rellis. She cited a letter that she got where someone said, We used to frequent restaurants and gift shops on J Street, but now we find working our way through the traffic calming measures too frustrating. Many times you drive in circles to get to your destination. Out-of-town guests who visited her last year went to the Railroad Museum, but imagine their frustration when they thought they could take H Street through Midtown and continue back to their hotel in the Arden area. They spent some time driving in circles trying to work their way out of Midtown. We will be returning to this topic. This is idiotic what they've done blocking off streets in downtown Sacramento. There's also propositions, uh, four of them, on uh, the ballot next Tuesday, and frankly, I don't know what to think about them. I do know that in general, I'm very skeptical about the idea of using bond money to solve your financial problems. Uh, We've been accused by some on this program of being very liberal, and God knows, sometimes we are. Sometimes we certainly take the liberal side of things, but this issue of uh, using bonds to solve financial difficulties uh, and things like deficit spending are issues that have been near and dear to the hearts of conservatives over the years. I find on issues like this, I'm very much in agreement with people like Senator Tom McClintock. We've been wanting to have the senator come on to this show for a long time. Happily, he has agreed to do so today. All right, joining us now, and we're delighted to have him, is Senator Tom McClintock. It's said about Senator McClintock that you may agree with him or disagree with him, but that he knows what he's talking about. And if you're going to go up against him, you should too. <laughs> oh, thank you, Doug. <laughs> well, Senator, you, uh, you, you're spearheading the opposition to Proposition 57, and I presume 58. I've been reading the, uh, the, vote, the pamphlet that's been put out. Oh, yeah. The, the only purpose for 58 is without it, Proposition 57 would be brazenly unconstitutional. Prop 58 suspends the oldest provision in the state constitution, which for 154 years has prevented one generation from passing on its day-to-day expenses to the next. Right. So I gather that your point here is, particularly on 57, well, this is this would be illegal if it weren't for 58, and that 57 is is doing exactly that, borrowing money in, in um, 
contravention of what has been in the Constitution since 1849? Exactly. And, and not only that, but I mean, look, you cannot borrow your way out of a debt. It's that simple. If this is a spending problem, as the governor says it is, as I believe it is, the answer to a spending problem is reduce spending. Don't borrow more so that you can spend more. Uh, a, a, this measure solves absolutely nothing. It adds six and a half billions of dollars of interest costs to our problem and then dumps it in our children's laps. Uh, and, and the tragedy is a 13.5% reduction in the overall rate of spending uh, would uh, completely eliminate the deficit by the end of the budget year uh, without tax increases, without borrowing, without all the raids on local governments and transportation funds that the administration has proposed. It would allow us to begin 2005 debt-free with a clean slate, and we'd still be spending slightly more even after adjusting for inflation and population growth than we were spending as recently as 1997. Yeah, where, where do you think that money should most properly come from? You look at the uh, Reason Foundation's report, uh, they document about $9 billion of savings that could be affected simply by extending to state government uh, what every family does every day of the week, shop around for the best service at the lowest price, uh, streamlining of the state's bureaucracies would save another $6 billion, uh, bring our workers' comp uh, costs down would save directly $2.5 billion to state and local governments. Uh, it's not hard to find waste in a budget that has increased 43% during the Gray Davis years, and I hardly think after that 43% increase in spending that a 13.5% reduction is at all unreasonable, particularly when it still leaves us spending more, adjusting for both inflation and population growth than we were spending uh, as recently as uh, 1997. Does it appear this is going to pass at this point in time? My question would be, and if it does, then what? If it passes, then the pressure will be relieved for any kind of meaningful reform of state spending. Uh, we will be $15 billion uh, in debt plus another $6.5 billion of interest. That's about $2,000 of taxes paid by every family in this state just to retire that debt. Uh, and um, uh, uh, it is also instructed to look at the city of New York, which tried to do the same thing in the mid-1970s. They just rolled over the principle of their debt for another 30 years. They haven't begun paying it off yet. You know, it's just like anything else in life. When you, when, when you have a financial problem, if you deal with it squarely, you can be sure that the hard times won't last. But if you ignore it and try to borrow your way out of the problem, you end up dragging your problems with you years into the future. Would you care to comment on Prop 57? That's one that related about taxes and uh, a lot of similar issues. You mean Proposition 56? I'm sorry, 56. Well, it, very simply, yeah. Yeah, the, the purpose of Proposition 56 is to raise taxes. Currently, it requires a two-thirds vote of the legislature to, uh, to uh, adopt a tax increase. Uh, under this measure, it will take only a 55% vote. The net result of this will be a lot of additional taxes will be going to the governor's desk for signature. Uh, it seems that way to me. With how does this impinge on Prop 13, a subject that I've I've talked about on this show before? Well, uh, Prop 13 required a two-thirds vote uh, of the legislature for tax increases, and that obviously uh, changes it to 55 percent. And again, the whole purpose of this, everything else is is window dressing. The main purpose is to make it a lot easier to raise taxes. Well, it seems that way to me. Senator, thanks for coming on. I, I, would, I would like very much to talk about that issue of Prop 13, which a lot of people see uh, they blame for a lot of woes in California, I think unfairly. Well, I mean, if you want to know what 
life would be like without Prop 13. Take the price of your house, whatever you could get for it right now, if you sold it today, uh, multiply that by 2.67%. That would be your annual property tax bill without Prop 13. Well, for people living in the Bay Area where property values have gone so sky high, people like my mother, I realize this is a this small fortune you'd be paying in taxes that uh, it's hard to justify in my mind. Well, like I said, 2.67% of whatever you could sell your house for today, that would be your annual property tax bill if, if Prop 13 was uh, abolished. Well, Senator, we thank you very much for coming on to Radio Parallax, and we'd, we'd like to, in the future, uh, talk to you again. Well, thank you. I look forward to it, Doug. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Was it Mark Twain that once said that no man's uh, life and liberty uh, uh, are secure with the legislature's in session? Uh, <laughs> I think, I think those are words of wisdom. We appreciate very much hearing from Senator Tom McClintock on this program, and I think his point is well taken. Um, imagine a $600,000 house uh, in the Bay Area, Los Angeles, or even in the Sacramento area. Uh, that's hardly out of the ordinary, given the way property taxes have risen. Um, I'm paying, uh, by my estimation, something like 1.6% right now on a property tax. Well, if I had to pay an extra 1% above that, and I lived, say, in Los Altos, and I had an $800,000 house. That means $8,000 in property tax going to the state instead of to something like my son going to college at UC Davis. I want to know why it is if we're missing tens of billions of dollars. We went from like something like a $20 billion surplus to a $20 billion deficit, something like that. How it is that we know this is the result of energy companies faking a crisis in California and having us pay all of that money for energy costs that didn't need to be so high. Okay, people like Enron and a lot of energy companies shipped money out of California. Why are we not going to the bank accounts where those funds were deposited and taking them back? That's how you solve the California budget crisis. In my mind, of course, that ain't going to happen. I mean, we've got an Office of Homeland Security whose job it is to protect us from uh, these sorts of financial attacks, don't we? They can't trace this kind of stuff down? And uh, there is one race we should talk about. Uh, Doug Ozie is retiring from Congress. There's a heated battle that's, uh, that's being fought currently over that seat to be vacated. Between his sister, Mary Ozie, uh, Dan Lundgren, and Rico Oler. We don't care much for uh, for Dan Lundgren. He's a bit of a carpetbagger. He used to represent um, Long Beach, but he's moving around to find himself just barely inside the district he purports to, uh, or that he wishes to represent. I personally have an even bigger problem with Oler, who apparently likes to run dogs when he goes out and trees bears and shoots them. I, I don't know. I don't like that kind of stuff. Apparently, Dan Lundgren actually has uh, some willingness to engage in some forms of gun control. He, some people he was having lunch with were uh, murdered in that famous case of a rampaging gunman in San Francisco about uh, eight or ten years ago. Uh, Rico Oler wants no gun control at all, apparently. And uh, we wanted to support Mary Ozy. We, we asked, we called the campaign office of Mary Ozy to see if she would come on this program, and they did not respond. So we wanted to help, but uh, I, instead we're just going to have to sit back and watch what happens over there. People like Club for Growth are determined to see Oler uh, in Congress. Apparently, these are the same people that ran the anti-Howard Dean spots in Iowa that uh, pretty much attempted to, to knock Howard Dean out of the race. We, we told you about this a few weeks ago, the ads that said that, you know, 
Howard Dean should take his tax hike and government expanding latte drinking sushi eating Volvo driving New York Times reading body piercing Hollywood loving left wing freak show back to Vermont where it belongs. Apparently that race is really heating up over there and there's been a lot of negative ads going back and forth. We'll, uh, we'll survey the wreckage on next week's program. We were really hoping that uh, this March Super Tuesday uh, would mean that California could influence the upcoming selection of a Democratic candidate to run against George W. Bush, but it looks as though the media has pretty much knocked Howard Dean out of the race. I think a lot of Howard Dean's support came directly from California, and it would appear to me that a lot of people in the federal government are interested in minimizing California's influence, which is why I think they worked so hard to knock Dean out of the race early. Conspiracy theorizing? I don't know. I noticed a copy of the U.S. News & World Report from March 2003 that showed Dean Gephardt Lieberman on the cover out of focus, but John Kerry in sharp focus staring out from the cover at America. It makes me wonder. Also, we received from Jerry Polikoff, one of our political uh, contributors, the following item. Steve Grossman while still chairman of the Howard Dean campaign, announced on the eve of a major debate relevant to the Wisconsin primary that he planned to switch his allegiance to John Kerry if Dean did not win Wisconsin. Now, uh, Steve Grossman is a millionaire, recent candidate for his party's nomination for governor of Massachusetts, and raised some $5 million in the effort. He ran John Kerry's 1996 Senate campaign. <laughs> Does it seem like there was a bit of a fox in the hen house when it came to the Howard Dean campaign in Wisconsin? Well, it seems so to me. We were prepared to have Dennis Kucinich on this program. Dennis Kucinich appeared on this show last March. But I decided that um, Dennis Kucinich has a message worth hearing, and I recommend if you're a Democrat that you vote for him on, the, in, on Tuesday. But that um, we'll probably return to him in a future show as the Democratic Convention looms. I don't think he's going to be a factor in the California primary. And doesn't that make me as guilty as the rest of the media as handicapping who can win, who's electable, and making a decision? Well, I guess in this case it does. But we had a lot of show to cover today and decided that, you know, we will return at some point to Dennis Kucinich. It just won't be today. And we're proud to have gotten out the word about Al Sharpton on our show uh, two weeks ago. I'm surprised how many people have not heard about the fact that the Republicans are running Al Sharpton to do what he can to hurt the Democrats' chances next November. Now, we talked about Al Sharpton helping the Republicans. I think we need to address the issue of Gavin Newsom, the newly elected mayor of uh, San Francisco, who's going whole hog on the issue of gay marriages, is getting uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger involved in saying, well, the state can't sanction gay marriage, yada, yada, yada. Well, okay, regardless of how you feel about this, if you really would like to see this issue go forward, okay, um, can you wait? Can you wait a year? Can you wait till the election year is behind us? This is exactly the kind of thing, this is a wet dream for Karl Rove. Karl Rove is just so thrilled at the prospect of people in California and Massachusetts, where the judiciary was just going forward with the, the, uh, the whole gay marriage issue, handing them something to whip the South with. 
You know, an attack on traditional values, the American way of life, get the Christian evangelicals all stirred up and willing to work overtime for your campaign to fight against this abomination going on in California. George W. Bush is now proposing we go forward with a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. This has got to be the dumbest proposed constitutional amendment since his father proposed that we go forward and make flag burning an exception to other forms of free speech and ban it. The legislatures of this nation and Congress have better things to do than spend energy on this issue. We do not need a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. My suspicion is the White House is secretly maneuvering to bring this forward in California and Massachusetts, just like I suspected they were behind Al Sharpton. Well, I was right about that one, and I'm, you know, I would bet, I would bet I'd be right, I'm right on this one too. Now, Ralph Nader has come forward and said, please, please, can't I siphon votes from someone in 2004? (laughs) Nader said on NPR last week that he took 25% of the votes from Bush, 38% of the votes from Gore, and the rest wouldn't have voted anyway. Well, Ralph Nader is wrong. A hundred votes for Ralph Nader's study show represented about a net 50 vote loss or more, 50 to 60 for Al Gore in the states of Florida, where he got something like 90,000 votes and New Hampshire, where he got 22,000 votes. Had he not been running, Al Gore would have handily carried both states. This is where people like Club for Growth come forward to buy spots for Nader. Duh. I agree with Ralph Nader on what he's got to say about, you know, the two-party system being rotten. But would there be a difference between a Gore administration and a Bush administration? Let's take a moment to examine that. With Al Gore sitting in the Oval Office, we would not have neoconservatives directing foreign policy. We would not be in Iraq right now. Now, Okay, that means Saddam Hussein would still be running Iraq. Not an altogether good thing. But uh, there may have been other ways to remove him without going in and seizing the oil fields and setting us up for a big fall as a civil war looms as we leave in June. And by the way, if you notice that Kofi Annan and others are saying it doesn't appear there's enough time to hold elections between now and June 30th, We're going to hand the car keys over to somebody in Iraq on June 30th, and it ain't going to be after an election's been held. Oh, by the way, can we make a prediction on that? Look for Mr. Ahmed Chalabi to be the new president of Iraq on July 1st. You know, we're going to to delve into the issue of um, petrodollars and petroeuros. Have you heard about this? There are a lot of folks that note that our invasion of Iraq was preceded by Iraq deciding to use euros to basically exchange its oil revenue um, in. I'm not an expert on this, but it is interesting that a lot of people were upset about the possibility that petroleum resources, which are pretty much traded in dollars, might see some of that go into the European currency, the euro. This would damage the dollar. Uh, We're going to follow up on that in a future program, but I don't know enough about it right now to say more than what I just said. It's an interesting topic and worth looking into. All right, uh, that's enough about elections. Um, You know, go vote on the propositions, be cynical, and see if we can't uh, put Ross Rellis in the Sacramento mayoral seat. I'm Douglas Everett. 
This is Radio Parallax. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.